Well, welcome. It's great to have you here. I'm glad to be here. We also want to give our greetings to those who are at the West Campus and Traditions, those watching online, and wherever else uh, this message goes. So welcome. We're glad you're here. Before we begin, I have some really good news to share with you, and I'm going to take just a few moments to do that. As you know, as a church, we're involved in For the City and Beyond in a very exciting way of connecting with our community in nine different initiatives, uh, different segments of our community from lost people to people who are in gangs, refugees, those who are hurting, families, leaders, and so forth. And one of those elements is the global element. Uh, we've had teams just return from a lengthy but really encouraging series of weeks that have included some amazing advancement of God's kingdom work. I need to just share this with you. Uh, the focus at this particular trip was to develop leaders globally. Uh, we think this is really a strategic kind of uh, uh, initiative where we work with leaders who then can do ministry where they're called to do that and to bring quality biblical training for those folks. We call it the ITI or International Training Institute and it's happening all over the world. But let me just through some photos uh, highlight a couple of things that took place over the last month. We conducted four international training institutes from the hearing impaired community of East Africa to coordinators who oversee large numbers of church planters working in some of the most uh, challenging areas of the world to working with refugees in Europe. Uh, one of the untold stories, uh, by the way, is that refugees that are flooding into Europe from various Middle Eastern countries, many of them are coming to know faith and have faith in Jesus Christ. A lot of significant stories taking place. And our role was to help develop those leaders uh, who work with the refugee population. Very, very exciting. Some things resulted from that time that uh, are amazing, just kind of amazed me this year. Uh, we have 80 recent graduates of the ITI, 80 new people who have graduated, completed all the studies over several years of work. Multiplication is now occurring where we have graduates in our program who are now independently teaching other ITIs in different parts of the world. So for example, over the next few months, over a dozen International training institutes will be conducted by indigenous people, uh, not our Western uh, folks from this church or other churches in this area. Fantastic. So what does that mean? In one of our partnerships alone, totally African-led and directed uh, ministry, several hundred, in fact, over 400 new churches have just begun. Over 850 new leaders have been trained 1,028 people have been baptized as they follow Jesus. Over 2,000 new disciples uh, have, the, have come to follow Christ. And 150 new missionaries have been sent out to reach further groups in these areas of the world. And this is just in the first quarter of this year. Is that exciting or what? It is. and in one partnership only. So this is a, quite an amazing time. Thanks for your prayers. Thanks for your involvement in For the City and Beyond. It makes a difference. It matters what you're doing. So let's get into our teaching series. And we're studying this summer, these summer weeks, Tattered Covers. That is when God's story becomes your story. And our biblical study today is certainly gonna qualify for that heading. We enter this particular story by overhearing a conversation that is recorded to us in scripture. 
Now the conversation takes place with a woman who is still unnamed to us, living in a city which is unnamed to us, and a prophet of God by the name of Elisha. Elisha was a farmer that God tapped on the shoulder one day and said, I want you to represent me as a prophet to speak to the people during a particularly dark spiritual time in the nation of Israel. The year is roughly about 850 years before Christ, and the nation of Israel at that time had very little time for God and very little time for prophets of God, and so Elisha had a tough work, to say the least. You know, as I was looking at this passage, what immediately struck me was even the context or the setting for the story. Here is a a world that is in desperate need with nations that are against nations and all these big global things that are happening. And to God, what matters here is a single lady in in an obscure village somewhere in Israel that he cares about. And I thought, that's good. He cares about those particular things that you face and I face in our lives. Now let's listen in on this conversation as we read it in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 4, and beginning with the first verse. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Now this is tragic. This woman had a husband who was uh, somehow called the company of the prophets. We don't know if he was a prophet assistant or a prophet in training or somehow being mentored in some kind of discipleship setting to follow God. We love Jesus. He loved God. And he died. And he leaves his wife to care for their two children. And apparently he also left a significant amount of indebtedness. The woman had no means of support. Now, kind of a cultural note just to set this in perspective. Indebtedness was a serious problem in Old Testament times. And creditors had legal authority to seize property and homes and even the freedom of people to pay off the debt. So the creditors were coming. And the the, the only thing of value that the woman had, of course, was her two children. And he would come and take them and they would be his slaves. Now I want us to see what happens in this very interesting story, but to do it in a way that I think is going to be quite interesting and practical for us. And that is to explore four life fables. Uh, By fable, what I'm talking about is something that's a commonly held belief about life. I mean, people just assume this is true, but it's not true. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all a lie. A fable. And we're going to challenge life's fables today and present, I think, a healthier solution for us. That is life's foundations. So let's get into this to begin with our first fable, which is this. When life looks hopeless, it pretty much is. Now, there's something very obvious in the tone of the voice of this woman, and for good reason. I've lost my husband. I have lost all financial resources that we once had. And in fact, I have debt that has been incurred. And a creditor will come to soon take the only thing that I value 
remaining in my life, that is my two children, who I remember as living as slaves for this creditor. Now, if this was a movie, you would hear some really dark, heavy music, okay? And the scenes would turn kind of a gray, dark color. It's almost this dark cloud kind of envelops this woman in her story. She frankly doesn't understand why. Now this is pretty tough. She loses her husband. And now her pain is multiplied as she anticipates losing her children. On top of that, it appears that there is no help available, no one to rescue her, no uh, kinsman redeemer as they would have in Old Testament days to come alongside and take her out of this situation. It's over. There's no hope. As even as we begin this story, I wonder if you have a story that relates to that. Situations that you can't change. Death of a loved one. An illness that will change or perhaps even threaten your life. That financial blow that wipes you out. That relationship that you're clinging to and longing to see develop in healthier ways that just goes south. The pain, the loneliness, the inability to see any way out. I also want you to notice here that this is a believing family. They're godly people. There is no indication in this passage of any wrongdoing, of any sin, of any uh, rebellion against God. These are people who revered the Lord. They were followers of God. In fact, the man was in ministry. He'd given his life to serve God. Now, I think we can identify, and it's easy to fall into this particular first fable, this thinking, that when life looks hopeless, it pretty much is. It is kind of a a fatalism that kind of grips us. My situation is bad, and it's not going to change. This is my lot in life. This is my cross to bear. It's always going to be like this. And in fact, sometimes we inject into this conversation the question, I wonder if God really cares about what I'm going through. So allow me to blow up the fable and call us to our first life foundation. It is this, God works well in hopeless situations. It seems to be a style. It seems to be some pattern he likes to do to help. God is not in heaven on this occasion, throwing up his arms, wondering what in the world am I going to do for this lady, pacing back and forth across heaven. I don't know what to do. He is not leaving. He is not removing himself from this woman's life. I love the Psalms that often cry out with the same kind of passion in times of need. It says in Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isn't that great? In Psalm 145, it says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call upon him in truth. Great words. He is near to all who will come to him. He hears the cries of the people he loves. 
And so whatever challenging situation you might face today, I want to move us on to a solid foundations because fables won't help you much. They simply don't work in life. God is near. He can and he will work in even the most hopeless situations of life. And yes, your pain is real. And yes, life may go on looking differently. But life can be good. God is at work. So let's continue with the story. The woman cries out, and the, the prophet Elijah comes to her side. Now, he does something kind of unexpected, really, here, and it leads us into our second fable. The fable reads like this When someone is in need, it's best to give them something to help. He's saying, Is that a fable? Did you read that right? I mean, what would we do if we knew this woman? Well, we would do the obvious. Take an offering. Write a check. Maybe get on the phone with that creditor and give that creditor a piece of our mind. Now, certainly those are good options. Sometimes they are the best options. But perhaps there is something, another way to help this woman. Elisha is puzzling to us. He does something that's kind of counterintuitive here. He acts differently in a different fashion to bring help to this woman. I recall a team that I was on, one of our teams from church in South America one time, and we were working in a tough area, and uh, a team member and I from church, we were visiting this woman. and went to her home, and it was a very simple, plain home. And it became very obvious she had no strength. She was lying in bed. She had three little children. Her husband had abandoned her, and she was dying of cancer. It was, in fact, very close to the end of her life. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. I still remember very vividly, we talked with her, we prayed over her, we brought food to her, we connected her with a church in that area that could help her, and they did a great job. And I remember going outside that house that day. Both of us were in tears. And suddenly my friend who was standing next to me yells out in this huge voice, someone has to fix this. This has to be fixed. And we both felt this pain that was overwhelming in terms of what's going to happen to these kids. There's nobody. In the pain of this situation, Elisha asked a question. How can I help you? I mean, what can I do for you? And again, at first glance, we're probably thinking in our minds, Elisha, are you like blind? Uh, Don't you see what this woman needs? I mean, connect the dots here. You're supposed to be the prophet, right? You're supposed to know these kinds of things. Have a little discernment, a little insight here. Let's use that, Elisha. I mean, it's cash flow. That's what she needs. But I think Elisha does something here really wise because he moves from the fable to the foundation. And the foundation is this. When someone is in need, it is best to consider what will truly help this person. 
So then, what does this woman really need? Money? Yes. And no. Any response? Tell me what you have. Which sounds extremely weird. Yeah, you're facing this huge problem, you, you know, all this and that. Tell me what you have. And then he gives her a job, an assessment job. You know, when we experience something of a desperate nature, a need in our lives, when we're facing some problem that seems like a huge mountain before us, there are tangible things that we need in our lives. Money was needed to pay those creditors and keep her kids. But can I suggest there is a greater need that we have that we sometimes avoid and overlook? I call it vision, a kind of a spiritual set of eyes to see what's going on, something to cut through the dark clouds, to cut through the fog and see life differently. You know, when we don't have that kind of vision to see God, to see what God can do, to see his love and his commitment to us, all that we have remaining to us are the obstacles and the fears and the worries and the what ifs and all that kind of stuff that just immobilizes us. We're stuck in this, this dark cloud. Friends, I'm not talking about insensitivity to needs or some glib pep, pep talk to the person or comparisons that your life's not as bad as so-and-so or my life or whatever that is. Elisha is helping this woman, but he begins by helping her think differently. He begins to help her by having her see God differently than she is, how God sees her situation. He knows that we become what we believe. We do. We become what we think in life. In the New Testament, it's spelled out like this with much more clarity in Romans 12, where it says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is how you think, by vision. And I believe God all along wants to free this woman from a life of perpetual poverty, a perpetual need to provide far more than the amount of dollars needed to pay this bill that she has. So, you're ready for fable number three. It's this one. In extreme need, there's not much that people can do. Now, let's return to this rather strange question. The prophet talks to her and says this. Tell me, what do you have in your house? I want you to catch something here that I think is pretty important. He goes beyond, what do you need? Two, what do you have? What do you have? Now, we've all done this. When life is kind of falling apart on us, when something hits us in a health area, a relationship area, or a job, or finances, or whatever it might be, our default way of thinking is this. We expand our difficulties, don't we? The mountain grows, the obstacles come, they get bigger and bigger and bigger, and... We understate what we have going for us. That gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, a woman does this with a reply. 
She says, in response to the question, what do you have? Your servant has nothing there at all. Elisha, I've got nothing. 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 And it looks like at least the passage reads maybe a little bit of pause and says, oh, maybe a little bit of oil. A little olive oil. It's all that's left in the house. That's it. A little oil. Can I ask, what do you have? What do you have? And I wonder if we answer like the woman, I have nothing. I got this problem. It's huge. You have no idea how bad it is. I've got nothing. Maybe a little oil, but that's it. We need to reassess. Because I've got nothing. I've got a little oil thinking. Leaves us stuck. It's saying, in essence, I am helpless. There is nothing. There's no hope for me. So we might ask, do you have any abilities? Is God with you? Has he promised anything in his word that might be applicable to your situation? Does the Holy Spirit of God live in you? Your body being a temple for him? Are there people in your life who might stand with you or perhaps pray with you in what you're facing? Is the love of Christ still in effect? Does it reach as far as where you are? Is God still God? You see, instead of the fable, I would like us to consider the foundation. And that is, in need, there is much that you can do. Friends, God loves you. He made you. And the fact of only a little oil may not be as big an obstacle to God as we think it is. I'd like you to meet Mildred. Mildred is a remarkable young woman. Mildred is, uh, was one of the first girls at our Girls Rescue Center in Kenya. One of the first gals who came quite a few years ago now. And uh, we began uh, with help of others in, in Kenya, the Girls Rescue Center, and, and still continue to support it through For the City and Beyond. And as she spoke with Jacob Hauma, who is with Christian Mission Aid, our partner there in Kenya at the GRC, she broke into tears as she was recalling how far she's come in her life. She was a woman who as a young girl faced ritual abuse, terrible things that were going to be taking place in her life. As a little girl, she would be married off into a polygamous relationship. Her dad would sell her for some cows, some goats, and she would be wife number four or whatever in the family to be a slave the rest of her life. No future, no education, no hope. But because of God's intervention and the work of the Girls Rescue Center, Mildred found hope. And she was rescued and she was brought to the home where she became again one of the first girls living there. Fantastic young woman. She completed school, and as you may know, all of our girls have completed secondary school. It's an amazing rate of graduation uh, for Africa especially. Uh, she knows Jesus. She leads a Bible study. She's involved in her community's ambulance corps. She helps girls through her internship who are in similar situation as hers, 
working with families and with orphaned children. She is the first girl from the Girls Rescue Center to finish a degree at the university. Isn't that exciting? She did. And she has now given her life to helping girls and families in similar situations. She wrote a note to us. She said she wants to thank Christian Mission Aid, Christ Community Church, and Mark and Tina Hagen. As she puts it, my future now looks bright. <laughs> my future looks bright. You see, God does this. God does this. He really is able to work in the most difficult, demanding situations of life. And we get to be part of this. Fable number four. God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard it? By the way, it's not in the Bible, okay, just for clarity's sake, although people assume that it is. It's a fable. In fact, this fable says something quite damaging to us as people. It says, it all depends upon you. You got to do it. You got to try harder. It's something that you do for God so that he will do something for you. But it's all fable. It's not true. In reality, life's bottom line is this. It's not what you do for God. It's what God does for you. It's how you came to know Jesus, by what he's done for you, not by what we've done for him. So let me just quickly move into the foundation number four. And that is that God desires faith in him. Faith in him. You know, this is where this entire wonderful story is going. Ultimately, the need here is not about stuff. It really isn't. Life is about God. Life is about following Christ. It's a relationship with Jesus that transforms a person. So notice with me, as we just quickly run through this story, it's quite an exciting thing that takes place. In verse 3 of our passage, Elisha gives some solution. He says, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Okay, think about this. And the answer is yes, it is just as strange to us as it sounded strange to her. <laughs> okay, she's got this terrible, terrible problem she's facing. It is huge, it is painful, it is awful. And his advice to her is, go out and collect empty jars. Does that make sense? No, it's crazy. It makes no sense at all unless you see things differently, unless you think differently, unless you perhaps see things how God might see things in this situation. It takes faith to do that. I am sure her neighbors looked at her and said, poor lady, she's lost it. Here she is, she's losing her kids and she's collecting jars. Amazing, what a time for a hobby. Now picture this from God's perspective. This woman and her children have become active participants in addressing their life situation. It is one asset that they have. They are amazingly great jar collectors. They are really, really good at this. They're out with all the neighbors. They're knocking on doors. They're collecting jars by the dozens. Now notice this. 
She does that. Her children do this. They collect all these jars. They bring their jars home as instructed. They close the door and they sit. And there they are sitting in a room staring at empty jars. Maybe she has lost it. (laughs) Well, you notice that her circumstances have not changed. She is still widowed. The creditors are still coming for her children. And she's looking at these jars. You say, what is going on? Friends, what is going on is that she has put herself in a position where God can work. She trusted God through the word of the prophet, and now God is going to act. Notice verse 4 and 5. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. As each is filled, put it to one side. So she left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. She, they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. I say, uh, wait a minute, just explain this. She had a little bit of oil. That's all she had. She takes empty jar number one. Suddenly, it somehow fills up. They put it to the side. Jar number two fills up to the side. Jar number three takes the oil, puts it to the side. Jar number four, and this keeps going on. Jar number 27, pouring the oil. Jar number 96, whatever. She's pouring the oil. And all the jars become full of olive oil. There's a little bit of humor, in fact, in this passage in verse 6. When the jars, all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. I think she's getting the hang of this now. She's getting the picture, okay? But he replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. Whole different sermon, but the amount of faith she had expressed in the number of jars that she collected figured into the provision she would enjoy. Life suddenly looked different. But may I say she still missed her husband May I say it still was not easy for her to raise her children by herself. But friends, now she is the CEO of a thriving olive oil business in Israel. Yeah. And she has her sons. She's so excited. She went in verse 7 and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Great advice. It's a great story of faith, of seeing things from God's perspective. You know, what is faith anyway? Is it bargaining with God? No, that's not going on here. It's not feelings. It's not religious talk. It's not even desire. I think at the core, faith involves seeing and trusting God's point of view. Seeing and trusting God's point of view even when those things don't seem so evident. Seeing and trusting God's point of view about ourselves and God and hardship and need. Seeing and trusting God's point of view when it comes to our salvation and having a relationship with Christ. I need to introduce you to another lady. Her name is Margaret. Margaret is incredible. 
she is one of the most amazing people you ever want to meet. Let me just say something about Margaret. This is a lady, though she is very smart, she cannot read and she cannot write. Margaret has eight children. She lives out in northern Kenya among an unreached people group of, of folks who do not know Jesus. She lives in a place where apart from her, the gospel does not exist. And Margaret's husband died. Margaret had a little oil. She has a simple house in the community in which she lives. Tough life, but Margaret is not stuck. She sees something that most people would not see. I want you to know Margaret's story because your involvement and your giving to For the City and Beyond has made a remarkable difference in and through this lady. Margaret is part of our International Training Institute. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, Margaret graduated from the ITI. I was talking with the director of the, the work that we partner with, and we were just talking together. I said, just think about this. Here's a lady who's never been to a day of school in her life, wearing a cap and gown, having her, her certificate, having graduated from a two-year course of study. Amazing, amazing. She also went through our clean water training that we provide as we try to help people in ministry do a, a quality job of reaching their friends and neighbors. We, uh, we wanted her to have that training because people in her community, all the, they all get sick all the time. The water is so pure, poor. And so she went through the training. Now her kids aren't sick as, as much. And in fact, she's inviting all her neighbors in to have clean water for them. She said, bring your jars, come to my house. And as they're getting clean water for people, she begins to build these relationships. And through the relationships, begin telling them about Jesus. And people are responding in faith and are coming to know Jesus Christ. You know that through Margaret's life, she has begun 20 new churches. 20 churches in her region. When people have problems or facing needs, you know what they do? They come to Margaret because she knows that Margaret knows God. And when she prays, things happen. And they come to her and she prays with them and then she talks to them about who she's talking to. And they come to know Christ. Margaret's not done with that, however. She's in this amazing new chapter of her life. And yes, there is still pain in her loss. And yes, it is still difficult for her but Margaret is now training a new generation of church planters in her region. And she decided to adopt 10 orphan children to care for. Single lady, dirt floor house, 18 kids. Got the picture? And she has started a micro business to empower women of her community to be able to earn money so they can support themselves and their families. And she does it in the name of Jesus. And God's doing a lot. You see, how does she do this? Friends, I have no idea. I, I have no idea how to identify with the capacity of a person like this, except I know this. She has a little oil, and she has a big God, and she has a lot of faith in what this big God of hers can do. Amen. And she goes for it, yeah. how life works. It's how life works. It's the foundation in which God wants us to build our lives. 
Let's pray together. God, you know us. And we're thankful that you know every need, every hurt, every pain, every longing of our heart and life. Lord, we know that because you're God, but we also know that because of Jesus who came and experienced all those things as part of life. And we pray that you would deliver us from the fables. Lord, you remove us from the dark clouds, from the fog that we drift around in, where we bounce off walls and we, we're lost. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see you. And friends, as, as we're praying here, I just feel impressed to, to just stop for a moment and just have a time of silence just sensing that some here, you who listen, some of you are facing something big, something painful, some need, some mountain, some obstacle. And just before God, I want us to, to have a time where we might, just in quietness, right where you are, say, God, I... I uh, need to talk to you about this. I need to cry out to you. I'd like to invite you right now to take that need right where you sit and express it to Jesus. Lord, this is what I face. I need you. Lord, I want to pray to you on behalf of all who listen that you would come right now alongside that person, that you'd hear that cry. Lord, that you would respond to heal, to restore, to empower, to provide, to do what is best. Lord, to truly help. I pray that you would impart vision. Lord, that you would lift people above the need to see what you can do, to see you in your greatness, to see you in your power, in your glorious might. Lord, to see that forever you have been a God who, who does extremely well in hopeless situations, who does the miraculous who is not frustrated by the bigness of the task or the littleness of the oil that we possess. Lord Jesus, we, we bring these things to you in our desperation and our cries, knowing that you can help, that you can work. Lord, we pray that even as we take a time now to worship you, that as we draw close to you through the, the powerful words that we're about to sing, 
Lord Jesus, that you would speak, you would encourage, that you lift us out of our helplessness to see you in your power. We pray this in your name. Amen.